Hey everybody, it's Bill Courtney with an army of normal folks, and we continue now with part two of our conversation with Christina Mendez, right after these brief messages from our generous sponsors. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray, rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, let's return to Christina on what her first job was at Servant's Heart. It's an insistent to to John, the director. Mm-hmm. You know, certainly wasn't a promotion from what I was working in the city. I would imagine it was financially <laughs> a step back, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely. But I think I think I had in the in the years since I had come back from overseas, it had been this journey of like, I want to do something 
that has more purpose, that serves the community. I want to do that more often than just my job, than just on the weekends. Um, and so by that point, again, it's funny because I look back and I'm like, it seems like such a spontaneous thing to do, but it was just something that I feel like God had prepared me to want. And so took a took a pay cut and and signed up to serve in this ministry that didn't have a lot of formality and kind of come alongside and help manage the office. So what are you now? So now I um I'm a director of kind of operations and marketing. We're still a little small, so I'm wearing two different hats. <laughs> but now I basically help help the director kind of lead and operate the ministry. So kind of taking vision and how do we how what does do we create marketing look like? Marketing isn't as fancy as some of these big big corp- corporations, but it's a lot of I mean I do I've designed all the website and all the marketing materials and I was doing all the social media up until maybe 2 years ago and and kind of formulating I added when I first came into the ministry there was a rough mission statement some rough kind of like a brochure that was made and so kind of it was fun because I came in to just kind of work in the office but I got to use all of my creative gifts to kind of figure out okay well how do we how do we use how do we brand this in a way that really communicates the heart of what's already happening how do we make this look as legit than as it is <laughs> so all right so So how does it work? A nonprofit as a house for uh, like like in North Memphis, there's a thing called a Hope House. Mm. Okay. And Hope Presbyterian Church, which mm-hmm. is out in the county, 40 miles from here, not uh, 20 miles from here, put in a thing called uh, the Hope House. Mm. And the Hope House was a house that they fixed up and made nice for kids, mm-hmm. latchkey kids. To have somewhere to go after mm-hmm. school ended and before their parent came ho- home that was safe and there would be snacks and sure. quiet places to do um, homework and the person that ran the house was there to help with homework and mm-hmm. just got it was a it was a transition place between the end of school and when parents got home. They called sure. it Hope House. But it was in an old crappy house sure. in a dilapidated area and they fixed it up. So if someone wanted to put that in New Jersey mm-hmm. and had the volunteers for it, but didn't have the skill to fix it up, would they sure. call you? Yeah, we've got an application on our website. They would uh-huh. fill out an application. We'd send our project managers for a site visit, and Who's then also a volunteer. Uh, no staff. Now. now we now we've got. So at the time, the director was doing all of it. So got the director it. would go. We didn't. There was no application actually, but okay. they would call. The director would visit, kind of reassess, and then basically project manage and send out our volunteers with their volunteers if the if the nonprofit had, um, and then basically GC the project. Oh, and so and and then all of the labor, all the contractors are volunteers. All everyone's volunteer. What about the materials cost? They would pay for materials. Okay, so let's say a project to rehab this place was fifty thousand dollars. Typically, the materials might be twelve to fifteen, and the labor thirty-five. Sure, you're telling me they take that fifty thousand dollars project, and with your help, reduce it to a twelve to fifteen thousand dollars project. Absolutely. Well, I mean that's huge, and you're not actually doing the ongoing work, but you're providing them the space to do their work. 
Absolutely. Which is why I say you're a nonprofit for nonprofits. Absolutely. It's very cool. That is very cool. It's very cool. Okay. So you, how long have you been there? So I'm about a little over five and a half years. And so now. you've gone from this handful of middle-aged guys that taught a 27-year-old yeah. girl how to do something other than tote pails of water. <laughs> I'm never going to live that down. That's pretty funny. <laughs> but I'm just thinking like mules. Anyway, <laughs> what um, what is it now? So now, meaning like in size? People, yeah. People. What so you- we've got a staff. I think I just scheduled a staff meeting for next week with 15 of us. You're kidding. Yeah, yeah. How many volunteers? So we probably, so we've got kind of a blend of volunteers. We've got, you know, some people that come like every so often and then we've got regulars. So we probably have over 300 throughout the year. But then between our job sites and our trades program, which we haven't talked about yet, we'll probably have about 100 consistent ones that keep us going. And then- What is consistent ones? Weekly? So, yeah, we've got a lot of- We have a lot of volunteers that come like almost every Saturday or all of our trades program, which we'll talk about, is run completely by volunteers. No staff. Unbelievable how much it's grown. It is unbelievable. In the midst of all this, you started this trades program. Am yeah. I saying that right? Yep. So what yep. is that? So our trades program is a training and mentorship program. So in 2019, John, had our director, had this vision to, to have more intentional training of the next generation because our job sites, as much as everybody cares about training people up, there's still a job to do. So it's kind of a hard environment to get the project done and train people. So we had this vision for this trades program. Um, He connected with another, uh, a contractor who's really passionate about it. Obviously, you know, the world knows what's happening in the industry and the need for workers. Um, Well, let's let's talk about that because that affects my business. Absolutely. I'm in the lumber business, Right. right? And right. my stuff doesn't build houses, it furnishes it. Softwoods build a house, hardwoods right. furnish it. Think right. of it that way, right? Yeah, yeah. So my stuff goes to make furniture and flooring and cabinets and yep. case goods and molding and millwork, things like that. Right. Well, I'm still able to find enough labor to soldier through. It's not yeah. easy. Um but I can't tell you how many people I sell product to in the United States, a cabinet shop, for instance, that is having the hardest time in the world finding, one, someone to run woodworking machinery to mite it or gather uh, parts to make furniture right. or cabinets or flooring. And then, two, when that's made and there's a construction worker out there. Yeah. There's a there's a there's a construction contractor out there who actually is building the house or the business or whatever and needs to install this stuff and build the frame and all. They are struggling mightily to find bricklayers and floor layers and 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 framers and oh my gosh, uh, millwrights and guys to hang moldings. Oh, trim carpenters! Yeah. Holy moly! Yeah. And and roofers and all of this and. Every year it seems to get worse. There's fewer yeah. and fewer. And like the builders that I talk to tell me what's really scary is not only are there fewer and fewer, the ones they're depending on mm-hmm. aren't 40 anymore. They're like 55. I and know. they know in five, six, seven, eight years, these guys are going to retire. Yeah. And there is nobody in the pipeline. No one coming in. Yeah. To continue these skills. Yeah. 
So that's what's really going on, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And everywhere in, you know, obviously I'm new to this world, but I've, being in this world, I've learned that everywhere, all over New Jersey, all of these contractors that are coming out to serve, they're all hurting for workers. Um, And so I think some of our momentum of our growth is because we found a need that needed to be met and everyone gets it. It's like, so he connects with this, with one of our volunteers who runs his own contract, you know, contracting company. And basically we start working on this vision for this trades program, which would not just teach skills, but then the other side of that need is we're in this, this inner city of Patterson where I imagine it's not unlike Memphis, right? Where you've got a whole generation that's kind of struggling to come get out of poverty, right? And there's yeah, it's true. You've got this world, this industry that needs workers, but then no one's training this generation. Yeah, you've up. got this industry that's dying for workers. <laughs> and people think, you know, to be clear, uh a guy that's really handy framing People are happy to pay them 20 bucks an hour or more. Absolutely. Um, so you got this need for what is called skilled labor that is actually because there's such a um, a deficit of that labor, the pay for it's really high. Absolutely. Meanwhile, you got this labor pool yeah. who is highly uneducated and trained, untrained, not stupid, uneducated, right, untrained, begging for jobs, living in poverty. And success is where the two would meet. Right. And you're providing a way for them to meet. We'll be right back. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up as well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James! LeBron James! And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. 
As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This was kind of a meeting of the two worlds and the two needs. And so we call it a mentorship program because it's not quite a trade school because, you know, trade schools, the cost is skyrocketing. Right. And so our population can't afford that. That's everybody says, well, the trades are the way to go and trade schools are the way to go. I agree. But how does a, how does a person <laughs> living in poverty pay for trade school? And especially because most of the Pell Grant and that kind of money is only for four year anniversary, four right. year anniversaries, four year universities. So there's a problem getting into the trade schools. Right. And even if you commit to a trade school, you better know which trade you want because mm-hmm. the second you sign up, you're going to pay all this money. And then when you get out into the field and you decide, oh, wait, maybe electrical wasn't for me. Yeah, HVAC sucks, but I really like right. framing. <laughs> right. Now I got to start all over. Right. And, you know, I think, you know, our director and a lot of these trades guys, you know, they grew up with parents that showed them all of these things, right? They they grew up learning how to swing a hammer and they had this exposure that they could make an educated decision on which to navigate. Which trade they want to follow. Right. But like how can a Patterson kid that can barely afford, you know, one year of this trade school, let alone all of that, choose choose a field when they've had no well, also never had anybody in the orbit doing any of this work. They don't right. even you say HVAC I don't even know what that means. Right. They don't know what the career, what that career what holds. That looks like. And each one is very different in terms of personality and and pref- preferred skills. So even though there's a lot of skills that unite all the trades, there's still, you know, each, you know, each person is fit for a different kind of trade. So you have a mentoring program. Yeah. And now how do you get kids and I'm saying kids, young adults, yeah. teenagers, high school grads, whatever, from Patterson mm-hmm. to come to your mentorship program to learn a trade. How do they how do they know it's available? Sure. And how do you convince them it's a good thing? And then what does it look like when those kids who largely come from a place where work that work ethic isn't always well demonstrated sure. interact with people who have unbelievable work ethic? <laughs> sure. I've got to believe there's a, 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 a cultural clash that happens at first. You know what? It Not as much as you'd think. And I think it's because – well, I'll answer a few 
one question first. Okay. The the course that we started with, now we've got four courses running, but the course we started with is called the CPM course, stands for Critical Path Method, um, which is basically, for those that don't know, um, the um, the process of construction established by the Army Corps of Engineers that means that says you can't run electrical before there's a roof on. Basically, like it's the common sense logic of the process in which you build. And so we call it that. Foundation first, I guess. Right, foundation first. So we call it that because it's a 20-night course that walks through all of the key trades. So you get three classes on plumbing, three on electrical. And the whole goal of the course is to give um, a student the basic foundational skills like that are as simple as reading a tape measure, holding a impact driver, you know, hammering nails, but but also mentor them into figuring out which trade is for them. So they get to so learn. So they're getting a 20-day crash course right? from greenfield to finished product. Sure. What it takes to build a, pro- a house or a, right. a structure. And they're getting hands-on experience. They're going to learn how to sweat a pipe and get, you know, Get all and the stuff in your hands. And in doing that, then they get to say, well, you know, of that, I really enjoyed this and right. this. Right. Okay. And so then what? So basically, they go through the course. We've got different systems in place to kind of check in and feel out where they want to go. And then our goal is at the end of that course, we help them navigate, um, which is the direction. And okay, you know, this kid wants an apprenticeship. So we've got this wide you know, network of different trades guys that say, hey, so-and-so is looking for a carpentry apprenticeship. You know, do you have some space? And kind of connect them. Plus, all of the all of the contractors and subcontractors and all these trades guys are there, you know, Volunteering teaching. Volunteering anyway. They're teaching, teaching, meeting, you know, so networking. So they're learning these candidates by actually teaching them. Yeah. That's phenomenal. It's it's kind of like you're best donating of the world their stuff. time. And they're donating their time. But in donating their time, they're also finding right. the very valuable needs of personnel and Absolutely. they're able to evaluate them as these guys are learning. Absolutely. Guys and gals are learning. And that's awesome. Their volunteering is really what keeps those you asked that question about like you know, that don't necessarily come from this hardworking environment. A lot of what I hear from our students is I wanted to bail, but then I saw how many hours these guys were coming in to teach me after they've spent all day on a roof, you know, to come in and volunteer three hours twice a week for me that I stayed because they're watching these people model. So the actual philanthropic side of it is what keeps people in the program because they recognize the effort. Yeah, I mean a lot of these a lot of these students come from a world, not all of them, but a lot of them come from a world where they've never really had anyone believing in them. And a lot of them no male role models believing in them. Um again, and not all. Commitment is not necessarily a uh, paramount word. Right. Right. And so you've got I mean all of our volunteers just have this real heart to like really empower these kids. And so they're coming into this free program they didn't have to pay for. They're given all these tools and stuff to use in class. They have these teachers that are coming in after a long, hard work day to help give them skills. It's like for the first time they have somebody that's 
that's saying, hey, we believe that you've got you've got some skills and you've got some talent and you have a capacity to learn and build a career. Um, and I don't I don't think a lot of them heard of that before, not to mention, you know, I think a lot of the students that are drawn to this, like maybe didn't cut it in formal education. And so now for the first time, they're like, wait, maybe I was made for this kind of work. And it's got to provide them hope, too. Yeah, absolutely. How rewarding. It's very cool. It's very cool to witness and watch the student's journey from the first day of class to the end. This has got to cost some money, though. It does. Where does all this money come from? We fundraise. We've got partners. We've we've had the privilege. I mean, being in the trades industry, I mean, it doesn't take much to approach, you know, someone, you know, a lumber company and say, hey, we want to train up the next generation of tradesmen for them to be like, yeah, we get it. We want to. I mean, we've got a, a lumber company by us, Cucum Brothers, that donate all the lumber every semester. You're kidding. Yeah. Wow. Just like any and not just them, but all these different companies that are like, we want to be part of the solution. It doesn't I mean, it doesn't take much, um, but there is, you know, there's a lot of fundraising. I think I read. Did you did you win a grant from Impact? Yes. Yeah, I think. Do you know the founder of that organization, Wendy Steele, has been a guest? Yeah, Alex was telling me. Yeah. That's such a small world. When she, the very first one she started, and she said, you know, she got sick of watching females work mm. their butts off for two weeks to put together a yard sale and a bank sale to raise $6,000 while <laughs> guys raised $20,000 mm. by writing checks at the golf course. And she said, you know what? Women can write checks, too. How cool. And started Impact and... um, Impact 100. Yeah, Impact 100. And now I think they've raised $100 million. $123 million. $123 million. Giving away $100,000 at a time. And you guys were recipient of a $100,000 grant from that chapter up in wherever, right? Yep, up in Jersey. It is a small world. It is such a small world. We have talked about three different podcasts. Yes, (laughs) Since we've started Since talking, I have connect. to go listen to that podcast. I think they're actually, I mean, they're going to have to fact check me, but I think they're funding, we're going to start an auto mechanics program mm. in the fall. And cool. I think they funded our lift. That's for awesome. Our cars. Yeah. Yeah. So there's another connection yes. to the army of normal folks. Yeah, Isn't that absolutely. wild? It's very cool. It is very, very cool. cool. So I, I, I found uh, Alex provided this, which I think is really interesting. So um, New Hope's ministry, which helps families in poverty mm. uh, with a myriad of services, has grown rapidly um, since uh, we took on their headquarters in 2018. We helped them transform another two-floor residential home into a food pantry. The demo... Um, was uh, $25,000, um, and you guys did it for 10 and saved them fifteen grand, And that's $15,000 they can put to use <laughs> for service. Um, uh, another one was Empire Sports Camps. The job estimate to do their thing was 34800 You guys did it for 9800 and saved them $25,000. So you really are the nonprofit for nonprofits. nonprofits. And what that, the beauty of it is, is what you save these nonprofits 
isn't going in their pockets. It's just money that they're working to raise to serve Absolutely. that they can turn around and give. So your work not only saves the nonprofit, but it saves the people they're trying to serve right. exponentially. Right. And in the meantime, you've got a mentorship program mm-hmm. teaching people who really don't have a way to make a living mm-hmm. to not only make a great living, but fill um, needs for contractors that they can't otherwise fill. Yeah. I mean, it's a full circle. It's very cool. Philanthropy. It's very cool because, you know, like there's a lot of efforts that you could say, you know, it's the teach a man to fish kind of concept. You know, you could solve the immediate need, but if you're not figuring out how to create sustainability in that, um, it'll only go so far. And I think, again, it's such a been so cool to be a part of. Just seeing the the sustainable impact in all directions that we have this small part, but it it ripples into their ministries, and it's very neat. Tell me about Gamar Virgin. Am I saying this oh, right? Oh, Gamar. Gamar Virgin. Yes. Tell yep. me about him. So he he was in one of our first few semesters of the CPM course. Um, so funny. He he came in on like the second day of class held up his phone to the director and said, Hey, I'm redoing um my my apartment and I have no idea what I'm doing. Can you can you tell me what to do? And he's just this personality that's like, I'm gonna figure out, I'm gonna do it. Um, but he he came into our program to learn construction, um, did really well in the program. What was his background? Um that is a really good question. So he came I'm trying to remember if he was born here or he moved here from Jamaica. But I think he was doing work with his father in terms of real estate um, was kind of what he was doing. But he was trying to make it in the trades. Um, And certainly not gainfully employed. Yes, definitely not. Didn't hadn't built a career here, basically. And so he went through our program, did really well, and then we brought him on as an intern. And he stayed on staff for, I'm trying to remember how many years, quite a, like maybe like two years, two to three years. And then kind of just grew in skill working, working alongside our our staff, then got a job in like leadership management for um, like a building management kind of moved moved on to that and then now has grown so much that now he runs his own remodeling company. How does which, that make you feel? Man, it's just it's very very cool and he you know he still comes back every so often and visits class and it's like it's amazing to see the fruit of the impact in his life, right? Like now he's married with two two little ones and has his own company. I mean And has his own company. This thing changed his life. We'll be right back. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. 
Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James! LeBron James! And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you uh, do you take the time to uh, look in the mirror and say, "Wow, look what we're doing"? Uh, I I take a lot of time to sit, reflect, and I don't know. Thank God and all the people that really just mentored me to get here. You know, I I'm really passionate about the fact that any of us can make tremendous impact. We just got to know what we're good at and got to use it to serve people. And so, yeah, it's it's been a wild ride. I would have never would have never expected it, but it's been really cool to be a part of. I have a a cool story about a student that I think epitomizes kind of the, a student. Yeah, yeah. So, uh actually this past year. So, let me just start by saying like my favorite part about our program is that it's not just about skill building but about like life building and mentorship and i think our whole program because we're run completely by volunteers it creates this culture that there's a family that comes out of these classes and so there's um 
there's this one student, Kevin, who I think his story kind of epitomizes that. I mean, he came into came into the CPM course, really fun personality, really clicked with all the teachers. And even like I would say about halfway through the course was already doing some jobs with three of the Masons, one of the contractors, just really embodying um really building all these relationships with our with our teachers and um there's a few that really kind of mentored him um throughout the process but uh before you know by the middle of the course he was also showing up on Saturdays with his with his friend Jared who was also in the program and they were coming to volunteer to volunteer so they were going wow. to class during the week and then coming on Saturdays and so i just to kind of illustrate the importance that you know, our ministry kind of built in terms of community. Um, first of all, Jared was canceling his paid job just to come and volunteer wow. and work with us. And right. This is not a wealthy kid. He probably needed. No, I mean, two best friends from Patterson, you know, still really young building their career. Um, but I think the community that was built and the education and the mentorship really, really gave them something that they maybe didn't have before. So you're not um, only teaching them how to do the work, but how to live. Absolutely. Absolutely. We start every night with a core value and we tie that to the industry and tie that to life. Um, but one time Kev, so so one Friday night at like 2 a.m. gets into a car accident, car totaled, you know, like just, it was a little, it was a bit of a scary incident. He, I have permission to share the story, but um, he comes in the next day he shows up to the site and he had like he had no car had this like traumatic accident and had walked like three miles to get to our site just to volunteer with the crew and and you know it's you know it's just one one little story of his journey i mean he there's there's tons of things of the relationships that were kind of built in his life but but it kind of shows the impact that our community is our our program is making on these these kids that the guy had a the guy totaled his car yeah. and walked three miles in order to volunteer. Yes, yes, that is phenomenal. to come up with to come and volunteer. What's which, he doing now, Dina? Yeah, I mean he's doing he's working three days a week with one of our lead contractors that teaches the class. He also has got some real estate stuff going on at the same time. Um, he'll pick up work for another one of the masons that. Really just, he really um, clicked with that Mason and came part of the family, went to the church for the first time with him. And there's, yeah, it's, there's a lot of really, really cool stories that happen with these students. And, and yeah, it's uh, really cool to watch. That's kind of how it works, isn't it? You get, you find your inspiration and your payoff in the work you do in Mm -hmm. the most unlikely places often. Absolutely. And I guess a story like Kevin is what fuels you to keep going. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because it's it's more than, I mean, obviously equipping him with a skill to get a job is incredible. But it's it's more than that. It's, you know, providing a place where, you know, they want to work harder because they now have the confidence because people have believed in them. And gives them the motivation to to, you know, grow in life. This all started from, you know, one dude and some guys like your dad wanting to help and just kind of a loosely organized Mm -hmm. thing that is now um, 
a great organization teaching and serving and being a philanthropy for philanthropies. And the other thing I think that's amazing about it is it's scalable. Why couldn't mm. you do this in every city? Well, that's that's a thought, actually. We've, Tell me about that thought. Yeah, so um, we've been, I feel like the last two years, we've been in conversations about, okay, how do we take what we have and put it on paper and figure out how to replicate this? There's talks of, there's another um, town in Jersey that we're in talks of, another building in another location of Jersey, where there's talks of planting another location there. Um, I think I think it's very. Um, I think it could really spread and have multiple locations. I, obviously, there's Jersey isn't the only state that's hurting for workers, and no, it's every um, state. Yeah, literally <laughs> every state. Every state. Um, and so our process has really been the last two years trying to figure out how do we. So much of this has been organic and in our heads, and how do we put this in a system on paper that we can kind of pass it off and say. Hey, let's do another location here. Let's do another location there. So, obviously, we pay attention to all of the building data and analytics in my mm -hmm. business. Mm -hmm. And one of the one of the the starkest um, reminders of the shape we're in is that um, my children are twenty five, six, seven. And eight, 28, 27, 26, 25. Mm. Their generation, what are, what are they? They're not millennials. What are they? Generation, what are my kids? They they might be low-end millennial into Gen Z. Yeah, they're I'm definitely, kind of like the middle. Whatever they are, yeah. they're definitely low-end that. <laughs> but anyway, I think they are Gen Zs. I think they are. That generation is the first generation no, I'm not, I'm not saying this wrong. That generation has waited longer to marry mm -hmm. and buy property. It's the longest yeah. waiting generation in American history. But as a result, these kids are ready to get out of their parents' basement. Mm. They're ready to quit renting. Mm. They're, that generation is finally starting to enter the market, mm. the housing market, and as a result of the housing market, the furniture market. As a result of the furniture market, the flooring market, and it's a very large generation. Mm. And because baby boomers are still living, there's fewer and fewer used houses becoming mm. available. So you've got secondhand homes being lived in longer, mm. and a large generation who hasn't been buying now entering the marketplace. And as a result, there is a seven-year estimated deficit of housing coming up over the next decade. That's seven wild. year deficit of housing, both single family and multifamily, meaning standalone right. homes and condos or apartments. Right, right. At the exact same time, there is sixty percent fewer people in the trades than there were ten years ago. So we have a seven year deficit of housing with a massive demand coming up, and half of the people available in our country to build these structures than there was only ten years ago. Right. What does that mean? <laughs> Housing is going to be expensive mm -hmm. because it's supply and demand. There's huge demand, less supply, less people to build the supply, thus it's driving housing up. Right. And that is exacerbating the problems of overly expensive housing in places like Manhattan and LA and San Francisco where you right. see this homeless boom. Right. Which is also why you see 
housing in places like Texas and Florida and Tennessee absolutely exploding because Mm -hmm. it's much cheaper there and there's still some labor available. Yeah, yeah. So when you put all of that together, when I hear your story, I think there's a need for your organization literally (laughs) in every city in the country. The training part, the mentoring part, and the growing the uh, the nonprofits part that are getting involved in doing this work. I mean, I I think the little thing that you guys now have grown into a big thing in that area could grow into a national thing with uh, with a lot of welcome welcome mats um, by contractors in cities. I mean, Absolutely. so do you want to export it or do you want to just share the idea with others to do it? Yeah, I mean. Or both. Kind of both. Actually, funny story. We had this group from Wisconsin that found us online, reached out and said, hey, we want to do this. Can we come and learn? They flew out to New Jersey, stayed with our director for like, I don't know, maybe like four days, kind of learned all these things, went back, started asking around. And we have like a meeting in a week or two, just talking through the minutiae. They formed a board, they formed an organization. And and in that way, we just want to help them start their thing. Right. Which is and beautiful. So, and which, that's in keeping with your whole philanthropic right. mentality. I mean, we don't we don't need to profit from it. I mean, we see a need and we want we want to our heart is that we want to equip other people to take take the the skills that they've been given, the resources they've been given and to serve the community. And if it means inspiring other groups to do it, I mean, you know, our world's better for and clearly it. Clearly you're doing it in Wisconsin, but why not the rest of the country? <laughs> yeah, it's a fair point. So that's kind of what we're we're trying to we're trying to systematize our 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 back end to figure out how we can kind of be prepared to do so that. So if anybody wants to start their own or partner with Absolutely. you guys, which you'd probably be open to either. Absolutely. Absolutely. We've been in the process of like copywriting our curriculum and kind of really trying to formalize these things so that, you know, we can be kind of a catalyst to other people stepping up and doing it in their own communities. So if somebody listening to us wants to do this, how do they, how do they get in touch with you? Yeah, I mean, I would say reach out on our website. I mean, they could they could reach out. We've got an info email. I see all of them. So well, tell me what it is. Yeah, so it's info at servantsheartnj.org. Spet say that slower. You said it like somebody from New Jersey. I'm from Memphis. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> info at servants heart. Servants plural heart. Servants heart nj as in New Jersey dot yeah. org. Got it. And they come to you? And they come to us, fill out our contact form, email, send an email. One last question. Still got to be pretty much a male-dominated thing. Yes. (laughs) What's it like for you? You're now mid-30s, I guess. I'm trying to do the math from what you're showing. Yep. Mid-30s, female, you know, fashion person that thought they'd be toting pails to the mules. (laughs) Pails to the mules. Yeah. And now in this male dominated construction thing, is is there any chance that girls see you and say, hey, I can do this too? Because that because Mm -hmm. we don't need to limit this opportunity and need to half the population. Absolutely. For sure. Yeah. I mean, it's been a, a wild, very cool experience coming from like only ever working with women to only working with men but but it's been it's been really cool because i just feel like i've i work with 
the coolest group of guys and girls now. We've have a lot of girls. They are coming in now. Yeah, absolutely. Good. Our sites are filled with females. Um, but and and actually, with our program, we graduate about fifteen percent females. That's awesome. In our program, which is really cool. Going into what traits? All of them. Going, Just- yeah, like different ones. We've had different interests, you know, all around. But we've got. I feel like there's been a decent amount interested. We have a welding course hmm. um, that are going into welding. But I mean, part of. I mean, part of my heart when I I'm still serving on Saturdays because I just love being even doing it all. You still volunteer on Saturdays in your own organization. You know, I mean, I'm I'm paid to be there. I'm not a volunteer. I can't take all that credit, but but I still love working alongside the volunteers and and I do. I I really I love being able to serve with the females because, um, yeah, I think there it's fun to watch things click as they learn and and the confidence kind of develop this summer i i uh i hosted a a program a summer program called girl shop talk which mm. was um a a wood shop and bible study for teen girls and it was just wood shop and bible study yes. for te- there's something i haven't heard yet yeah it was it was a weird combination but it was just the coolest cuz i had all these 13 to 16 year year old girls come in and I, I rallied up some of my friends who are handy and um it was really cool watching them go from being terrified of a chop saw to just like kind of hammering it after. Yeah, it was it was the first time, you know, I'm kind of on the outskirts watching all these trades guys engage with these students and it was the first time I was like, no, I get to be in the in the teacher end kind of empowering these What's girls. What's your favorite trade? <sighs> I mean, I really like carpentry, but I've become the go-to tiler on site. Really? Yes. So I've tiled a lot of bathrooms. Well, in the last and five ironically years. enough, that's what you And your it was first, my first one. Your first it clicked. Thing. And it was it's it clicked and it Have you stuck. learned enough that you could build a house? You think you could do it? With guidance? No, I, I couldn't build a house myself, but I think I could do I could do a decent amount. I mean, I I've sat and formulated all the curriculum with the trades guys. So I learn. I now I can, I know enough to be dangerous. Yeah. But I think uh, I could help. Did you ever think sitting in design school that this would be the (laughs) track of your life? No, it would have never, ever crossed my mind. But it's, I was, I was telling Alex in the car, you know, I look back and it's just like, I would have never expected any of the stuff that I've done in the last few years but it's weird until you try something you don't know if you're made for it Mm. and it's just I would never go back it's just the coolest environment I've loved I've loved learning construction and being around all these guys and really meeting needs in our tangible needs in our community Christina Mendez, the uh, daughter of two hardworking children of immigrants from Cuba, Puerto Rico, growing up in New Jersey in a really average middle class, hardworking family who um, whose parents always gave and I guess illustrated you the importance of service. Mm. And here you are, um, a former fashion designer running a nonprofit, both teaching kids, young adults, how to enter the trades in a very needed capacity. Mm-hmm. And um, 
being part of running a, a philanthropy for philanthropists, for a nonprofit for nonprofits and changing lives in the process. What an amazing story. That's cool. Well, your work is amazing. Your work is needed. Your work is uh, appreciated and your, your humility is, um, I, I guess, passed down to you naturally. Mm. <laughs> um, bless your parents and bless you. And thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. And thank you for joining us this week. If Christina Mendez or another guest has inspired you in general, or better yet, to take action by donating to Servants Heart Ministry, by starting something like it in your own area, or something else entirely, please let me know. I'd love to hear about it. You can write me anytime at bill at normalfolks.us. And guys, you can ask anybody who's emailed me. I will respond. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with friends and on social. Subscribe to the podcast, rate and review it. Become a premium member at normalfolks.us. All the things that can help us grow an army of normal folks. I'm Bill Courtney. I'll see you next week. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin, And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.